says tech can't be human? Sales strategy, it saved my business. Like really knowing how to get people on calls is the first thing. And then on that call, allow your potential client the space to express their need so that you know what you need to speak to. Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. Hey everyone, it's me, Simone Biles. You might be wondering why you're hearing my voice on a cybersecurity podcast ad. Well, it's because I'm partnering with Axonius. Whether you're a gymnast like me, or an IT or security pro, complexity is inevitable. And I've learned that the key to success is focusing on what you can control. Go check out my video at axonius.com slash Simone. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash S-I-M-O-N-E. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. It feels refreshing to always have a new guest and a guest that we haven't spoken to before. This episode, our guest is Claire Gallagher. Claire is a designer, strategist, mom of two, and someone that's dedicated to helping solopreneurs like Chris and myself with design and strategy and so much more. I'm excited to jump into this conversation. Claire, welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. I absolutely love your intro. It just It's so hypnotic. <laughs> you just kind of get into the groove, get into the mood, and ready to podcast. Yeah, you know, we debated on whether to cut the intro for many, many years at this point, but we just kept it because it gets us ready, it gets the guests jazzed up, and we are beyond excited to have you on because there's a lot we want to ask you about when it comes to solopreneurs and even just branding and visibility out there in the world because there's a lot going on. But for the folks out there that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Oh, well, that's a really, 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 like, I mean, how long do you have? <laughs> okay, life story. I was born in 19... 19- no. <laughs> so I basically started out as a graphic designer. I grew up looking at the, you know, the Sgt. Pepper album cover, that famous one with all the people lined up yeah. uh, from the Beatles. I lived with that and it was basically a member of our family. And I thought, I want to do that. So I wanted to be a graphic designer and that's what I became. And as graphic design is one of these great international skills, I traveled the world with it. I lived in Dublin, London, Paris, Melbourne, all over the place with it, finally settling in Paris. And that's where I started my family. And once one has a family, the design agency <laughs> lifestyle is a bit of a stretch when you have to get home and leave at a certain time. So that's kind of the moment where I took it on my own back and made a business out of it for myself. So previously I was always in agencies and really loved that design and communications agency buzz. But, you know, sometimes deadlines are real tight and you have to stay there till like midnight and Mm -hmm. maybe come in at the weekend. And I figured when we started our family, that wasn't really going to fly. And I always kind of wanted the kind of the energy of having my own business. And that's what I did. I started back in 2012 officially and made all those mistakes, all of the mistakes that are to be made when you have your own business, I made them. And now I help people to avoid those mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) 
the thing that stood out to me going through the content that you create and the things you've done for other folks is this term visibility. Because when yeah. you, you talk about visibility, obviously, initially you think graphic design, you think about what do things look like? You think about awareness. Where did that transition really come in? You go from being the person that's really focused on the graphics and the look of things, but then this broader concept of visibility and standing out amongst the sea of others, where did that really that transition really come in for you and how has it been since? That's such a great question because creating designs for people, it's flat. There's no life in it. The whole reason to have these assets, these visuals, these designs is to communicate with somebody else that's hoping to find a service or a product like yours. So the design part of it was always something that I was really excited about. When you're working in a big agency, you've got somebody to do the marketing strategy, somebody to do the copy, somebody to plan how this is going to be distributed. But when I was working for small businesses, they liked a website and they wanted me to copy it, or they liked a logo and they wanted me to do something like it, or they'd have their own idea and they'd want me to create it. And I was always like taking those orders and doing a good job and making everybody happy. But then I'd keep in touch with my clients and say, so how's it going? How did that go with that logo and everything? And they said, oh, we really still haven't used it. We got a bit nervous about uh, putting it mm. online. And which is understandable. Showing up can feel a little bit scary for people, especially in the very early stages of business. So I thought, hmm, there's something missing here. I'm not serving people in as valuable a way as I probably could. So I really started to get myself interested in strategy. And that is, what is the role of design in the bigger ecosystem of their marketing thing? So having things look right, it's all well and good, but if nobody gets to see it, it's kind of pointless. So I got really into, like I did B-School, I've done a number of the future courses with Chris Doe, and I've always just been reading, 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 and consuming as much as I could about how to show up and when somebody finds out about you, what else can you offer them? How can you build trust? How can you get somebody on a call? When you're on that call, what needs to happen? And then there's the whole part of serving your clients. So this is kind of getting a bit meta now, but I was learning it for myself as a business owner and then created a number of different services to help people to do that for their business. So Having something look nice is one thing, but having it on rails so it can go and meet the people and go and actually serve your business as a really vital to bring in clients. Love that. I mean, that's so important, especially for someone that is this concept of solopreneur. And for anyone that doesn't know, a solopreneur in my mind, and I would love to hear your explanation of it also, Claire, is a solopreneur is someone that is a founder, but they're also an employee of their company. A lot of times when you you're an entrepreneur, they're not necessarily the ones that are in the weeds, maybe doing the marketing, doing the design, and also doing the you know customer engagement and outreach and maintaining a great relationship. And it sounds like you've really honed in on your company of catering to solopreneurs. I would love to hear why you chose to go down that path versus working with enterprises or small and medium businesses. Well, solopreneur really, it's like a solo entrepreneur, I guess, like squishing those two words together. And solo, it's not to say they're just starting out and it's just them. Some people, like me, <laughs> they're solopreneurs by choice. They're not looking to scale to a team. 
They're not looking to build so much of an empire. There's a great book by Paul Jarvis called Company of One. And he says that staying small is the next big thing. And it's true that when you start to, I mean, I have dabbled with building a team in the past. I have dabbled with having like an associate model with freelancers and everything. And I do sometimes recruit freelancers, but I never wanted to be responsible for somebody else's salary. I wanted to be able to just go, okay, I'm taking the entire summer off and be able to do that. Now, if you were doing that with a big agency and a big team, you have to really make sure that your cash flow and your business has enough money coming in to pay all of your staff. I never wanted that pressure on my back. I'm a loud introvert. You know, I could talk all day, but essentially I'm kind of introverted in in secret. (laughs) But generally I like to work alone, to get into a creative flow, to not have anybody to answer to in terms of I need to give them work or delegate. And so this company of one, this solopreneurship, it suits my energy and my temperament. And it's not that I'm not getting big enough and I can't afford to have a team. It's that I know what enough is. And I know that the balance between work and life is more important to me than anything else, really. I love that you're talking about the freedom to do what is in your mind or in your vision, because you're right. When you deal with larger companies, it's very difficult to kind of change course or try something new. I bet there's a bunch of pros and cons of going it alone or keeping it small versus trying to scale and make it large. What are some of the pros and cons from a standing out perspective that you have found in your work? That's an interesting question because I mean, you know, if like if you're a more established brand and you're a more established entrepreneur with teams, with people working for you, and I'm not, I didn't want to kind of undermine that in any way. I think if that's your thing, absolutely go for it and good luck. But one of the pros for sure is, I mean, for example, I pivoted away from brand and web design into mostly strategy. So I help people with their the whole plan around how they show up online. So that's a pro. I was able to pivot without having to hire people, sack people, and really invest heavily in changing everything. I just decided when I turned 40 last summer (laughs) that I didn't want to be doing only that. I wanted to really do the strategy because that was my most valuable contribution to people. So that's a real plus. I could just pivot like that. And it was a decision that I made and I was responsible for it. The cons... I mean, there are many, many cons popping up in my mind, but the whole thing of making decisions alone, that is tough. Making decisions, sticking to it, not really having people keeping you accountable. So maybe you pivot and then pivot again or rebrand or rewrite or change things or, oh, I'm actually changing all of my offers now. So there's nobody holding you to what you say unless you have a coach or a mentor or a mastermind. And I think that is the kind of the key to working alone. It's being part of a community, not being afraid to ask for help, to have a coach and a mentor really kind of all the time. And of course, to work with a strategist like me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just thought I'd crowbar that in there. <laughs> Absolutely. That's so important. And Chris and me, we both work with a executive coach, almost like a strategist. They help us with strategy, yeah. operations, and it has helped us tremendously. And we've worked with other coaches too, from vocal to movement to yoga. Mm-hmm. And it's all connected and so important. But what it makes me think about is the future of work. We're yeah. approaching this disconnected 
but connected world where it's everything is decentralized in some way. And it reminds me of a gig economy where people can, Mm. you know, exchange goods, services and help for others without actually being a full time employee. And through all of this greatness that has come into our world, I feel like there's one critical element that we miss a lot of the times, and that's selling. So how do you get to the point to where you can be this solopreneur or work with solopreneurs, help them with design and strategy, and also be a great salesperson? Well, this is something that I think a lot of any creative service providers out there, like, I mean, I do work with quite a few designers as like, as my clients and photographers. And I think creatives in general find it pretty hard to actually sell whether it's because they love their work so much and they feel maybe guilty charging a lot of money for it or <laughs> um, or just that their skill set is so focused on delivering the service that that whole marketing sales part feels like inauthentic or it feels icky or just like it doesn't feel like they're in the comfort zone there. So in terms of like getting clients, marketing yourself and actually getting that sale, it's work and you really have to do the work to get the work as a solopreneur. So setting up marketing and sales systems and processes, I mean, how exciting is that I'm talking about systems and processes already, (laughs) but um, having a path for people to find out about you as a solopreneur, having kind of consistent visibility, which kind of speaks to the problem that you solve for people and speaks to it all the time so that people get it, people know what you do. And then finding a way to sell that aligns with your temperament. Now, I've done a lot of coaching on this. I had a sales coach already and I've done too many books. I can't even start to name them. But sales strategy, it saved my business. Like really knowing how to get people on calls is the first thing. And then on that call, allow your potential client the space to express their need so that you know what you need to speak to. That was a key turning point for me when I was learning about selling and learning about marketing, that it's absolutely not about me. (laughs) People Mm -hmm. don't really care where I went to college, where I worked before, unless they know that I can be of service to them. So people don't really care about me until they know that I can help. And that was like a kind of a big mindset shift that all of my marketing and even on sales calls, it's an act of service so that these people get to solve that problem. Because I know that I'm good at what I do. I know that I'm dedicated and honest, but they need to feel seen and heard in your marketing and in your sales calls so that they're more likely to say, yes, please, when can we start? The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix. Analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S dot com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode.
Absolutely. And, and I love that you mentioned Chris Doe. I'm a huge fan of his work. And definitely from a business standpoint, I listen to all of his stuff and try to yeah. incorporate it in some way. You think about the folks in cybersecurity that are solopreneurs or even on the small scale, folks like VCSOs, these are virtual chief information security officers where they come in and they help organizations with big strategy for cybersecurity. And there's a sliding scale, I'm sure, of how much people charge. Some people charge on the very high end, but people mm. that aren't necessarily as confident and what they're producing might charge very, very little. And what's interesting is that might even reflect in the way that they show up online. Yeah. And so people are either trying to find their voice or they're trying to find their confidence. What have you found when it comes to looking at some of your clients and where they start and how they sound online to where they ultimately end up really showing their value? Well, this is it. Like, again, for creatives, charging is a like pricing their work is really, really difficult. I think women as well, we tend to undercut ourselves a little bit just to maybe get the sale. We think that being cheaper might be the thing that gets the sale. So with almost all of my strategy clients, we look at pricing and we look at it. And this is something that Christo talks about a lot. It's value-based pricing. If their service is anyway business-related, we look at the monetary value of somebody investing in their service. And we say, okay, well, if they're going to make 100000 from the work that you do, your solution needs to cost about 10% of that. If your solution is maybe to help somebody with a more caring profession, like, again, another coach or some kind of therapeutic or health service, that is an investment in health and well-being. And the cost of it needs to be reassuring to the person buying it, that it's not just some cheap thing. There's a whole mentality in pricing there. And when you can charge premium, it validates the value of your service. If somebody's willing to pay X amount, which is your perceived 10% of the value, this is getting really technical, sorry. Mm -hmm. You personally become more confident because you know that people are willing to invest and they trust you with their time and their money to deliver on that service. So I do talk about confidence quite a lot in the work that I do because it's not just strategy and the mechanisms of showing up. It's also the mindset of showing up and it's the mindset of making a claim that you are a valuable service and that people can actually get something from working with you. So when I work with my strategy clients, we look at the positioning of their offer in the minds of their potential and ideal clients. And we speak to that and we speak to that value. And it's amazing by working on a kind of a content strategy, the confidence and their, their point of view comes through and they get really reawakened the passion for why they started this thing in the first place. And this can often happen by creating content. It kind of has multiple benefits because by creating content, you're really leaning into your point of view and exploring it and going into like niching and micro niching. And then distributing that content means that it's going to help for your visibility and creating content that is meaningful to your ideal clients makes them feel seen and heard. And that's really the key to any kind of marketing plan or any kind of strategy to get clients online. I love the fact that you were getting a little technical on us because all of this is really <laughs> important. And it almost takes me back to when Chris and I first got started with the podcast. We 
we're really just wanting to create something fun, valuable mm. for ourselves and also for others. And along the way, we found out that it wasn't just for us and the listener and the guests, but it was also for our potential partners, our sponsors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we started to go down that route of making this into a business. And it's turned out very successful. I'm very proud of the work that we've done. And I think a lot of our listeners and people in cybersecurity and technology are on that same path where they are doing something that is of value to them mm -hmm. and others. And they could technically make money off of it and they would be very happy to do so. But it's almost like a balancing act of when should you start? Like, when do you typically work with clients when it comes to strategy and design? Like, at what point do they reach out to you? And at what point would you recommend a solopreneur or a content creator to reach out to someone like you to really get out of their own way so they could shine in this digital world? It's an interesting question because strategy is essential at any stage, really, in your business. Starting out, I think people are reluctant. There's a lot of noise online and there's a lot of people selling services. And there's a lot of people who are very honest and dedicated and pure of heart and they're going to get you to where you need to go. But I do think there are a lot of people out there who are just kind of regurgitating other people's content and maybe oh, yes. a little bit of snake oil salesmanship going on there as well. So I think a lot of people who are new in business they might get sucked into the loudest of those salespeople and maybe have a bad experience. So I've met a, a lot of people who've gotten burned by just expensive coaching programs that went nowhere or really expensive courses that had ultimately very little value to them. So at the very, very early stages, I do recommend books and read and read and join groups and Slack groups and Facebook groups and be in communities until such time that you have a little bit of money coming in or enough to hire a coach with whom you align. So this could be in week one, year one, or in the first five minutes of your business. But doing it all alone is always a mistake. I think anybody who gets into business for themselves or goes out on their own, they do have kind of creative problem solving brains. And that means like, I can totally figure this out, especially like in cybersecurity, those people are smart. <laughs> so they think I'm smart, I can figure this out. And yes, you can, but to go further faster, I think working with a mentor, a coach and strategist, one of the three or all of the three, you're always going to get further faster by finding somebody who you vibe well with and kind of understands what you're trying to achieve. I bet you there's a lot of people listening right now like, oh, why am I listening to this? I'm not a solopreneur or entrepreneur, <laughs> but I'd venture to guess that a lot of this applies to anyone trying to yeah. build their brand because branding is really important in industry. It's really important in their community because people tend to hire people that they know, they respect, and they've exactly. seen their work and, and the things that they care about. One of the things that I really struggled with in the very beginning of creating content is I didn't have my voice. I didn't know how yeah. to bring myself out in a way that would resonate with people. And so it was a lot of trial and error. But for the folks out there that want to really focus and make sure that they're coming as authentically as possible, what are some of the tenets that you tend to teach people? 
don't be afraid to make mistakes <laughs> because it's by making mistakes that you learn. What is it? Reed Hoffman, I think his name is the founder of LinkedIn. He says, if you're not embarrassed by your first launch, <laughs> you waited too long. Right. Like a red flag for me, like in my own head. And when I'm working with clients is when I hear the phrase as soon as, so as soon as I get my logo, I'll start a website. As soon as I get a website, I'll start doing social media. As soon as I have this, that, and the other, I'll start blogging. But many a business was built on a social media account. Many a business was built by starting out very, very simply and roughly. So starting before you feel ready, it's really the only way that you can start because you can't know everything until you've tried some stuff. So showing up and making mistakes and maybe being seeming a little bit foolish at the start, take it. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Showing up imperfectly, people don't tend to care that much if you are honestly trying to bring value. And by understanding your ideal client, understanding the kind of the work that you're hoping to do with them, it really starts with understanding that and any kind of value you can bring to that conversation, it's good. And you will look silly the first time. <laughs> that's just it. <laughs> that is so true. And that's also the devastating part is, you know, looking silly the first time or even the second time. It might not <laughs> stop for quite a bit. We've been dropping a lot of names a lot of books in this episode. So I kind of wanted to continue down that path for a second, at least, and ask you, letting go. I'm sure you have some great references for releasing that embarrassing feeling of showing off your first product or showing off your first LinkedIn post, even if that's the case. Mm -hmm. What is a reference that you always look back on or book that you go back on to remind yourself, it's all right to let go? I mean, I'm sure you guys know of Ryan Holiday. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Ego is the enemy. Changed my life. Ego is the enemy. It's one of these kind of books that I think I've read it about five times now and then kind of dip into it from time to time again. But ego is the enemy. Like when I said ego in normal language, we think ego means somebody who's kind of maybe arrogant or full of themselves, but it's a psychological term for like kind of that inner voice that wants to keep you safe. And Ego is the Enemy was one of these kind of turning point books for me. The lesson that I learned from that is that one of, it's not about you. It's not this whole thing. You got to connect with everyone else. You got to be of service. You got to be, it doesn't matter. It's not that you don't matter, <laughs> but um, there will be a voice in your head that says, this is scary. This is dangerous. And that's there to protect you. And it can protect you so much that you never advance on things. It can protect you so much that you kind of stay in the same place and stay small, stay quiet. And there's another part of it. The flip side of it is that when you're super confident, it's really reminds you to connect with others. It's all about connecting with communities, having a good level of self-awareness. So ego is the enemy. It was just a massive influence on my life. Ego is the enemy. And it makes me think of another Ryan Holiday book, The Obstacle is the Way. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's someone that's listening to this podcast right now, whether they're a VCSO or they're a consultant or even just someone looking to build their own personal brand. And they're thinking, this is great. You know, I see this obstacle on the horizon. I'm going to attack it. What is the first two steps that you would convey to those listeners as they embark on that journey? 
on a journey to show up or to build a brand? To build a brand, to basically show up as authentically themselves in marketing and their branding. I do an exercise with my clients when we talk about like the brand strategy piece of their general strategy. Who's going to benefit from this work? And why is that important to them? There's also another kind of zoom out that I do with people. And it's, well, why are you doing this? You know, like the whole Simon Sinek thing, the find your why, start with Mm -hmm. why. It's like, why are you doing this? Why did you start? Is that still why you keep going? Is this the change that you want to see in the world? Is it something that you want to do for yourself or help with others? So another book reference there, but Simon Sinek, Start With Why, was a really interesting one for me as well, that having a kind of emotional connection with the thing that you're doing it's going to be what's going to keep you going on the dark days or against when you face some kind of failure or a campaign didn't work or a project fell through or something just basically screwed up. The why is the thing that's going to keep you going. So that's kind of one of the foundational pieces that I do with my clients is like, well, why? What's the point of all of this? Why are you doing this work and who should care about that? So that would definitely, definitely be a first step. And then just taking a first imperfect action, taking a first imperfect step towards what you'd like to achieve in your work and life. That got Mm. big. That got real big. Sorry. (laughs) No, I love that. Take a first imperfect step. I've never heard it put that way, but I think that is very, very valuable for folks to hear. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics with us. If anyone out there wants to stay up to date with you and all the great things that you're doing, what are the best ways for people to do that? Well, you can come over, come on over to (laughs) clairecreative.com. I have a freebie, a digital strategy template that's really useful to kind of get clarity on what your first imperfect step might be. And if you're on my mailing list, I send out a weekly newsletter with tips and observations and sometimes jokes, you know, it's how I roll. (laughs) (laughs) But come on over to clairecreative.com and join the list. Or I hang out and do silly things on Instagram at clairecreative underscore com. Love it. That was very inviting. So inviting that we've dropped it into the show notes. I would highly recommend everybody to stay up to date and check out Claire and her social media on Instagram. But Claire wanted to say thank you again. Really appreciate the great conversation. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee.